Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you that we can know you, that we can belong to you. We thank you that you have a purpose in our lives. And you tell us about that purpose. We thank you for your word. We thank you how it instructs us, how it comforts us, how it strengthens us. And we ask that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I get going into my session, I'll just introduce my family to you. Um, here they are. There's my wife. I have three boys, a little girl. Um, I'm one of the teachers here at EI. Been here for 15 years. And um, anyway, it's a joy to be with you all this morning. I thought I would just share a little bit about my story because I think it helps to understand a little bit about our passage this morning. And so I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up uh, in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. And so I grew up listening to my dad preach every Sunday. I heard the gospel growing up. I heard the word of God being communicated um, again and again and again. But it wasn't really till I was about, I would say roughly around 13 years old, that I really began to be conscious of the fact that God was speaking to me. And that God was drawing me to himself. Now, I know the Lord was drawing me to himself before then, but I really began to be conscious of it. But I also became conscious of the fact that I had also other pursuits that I wanted to pursue. God was calling me, but there were other things in life that I wanted to live for. And there was a struggle in my heart. There was this tension. And I felt this pull this way, that way. It wasn't until I was 16 years old that I finally said, Okay, Lord, I'm yours. I surrender myself to you. I want to, I want to belong to you. And I remember getting down on my knees. I was, all, I was alone in my room. And it's like I, I gave up running from God, as it were. And God changed my life. I, I changed in that moment. My desires changed. Uh, my, my loves changed. I, I began devouring the Word of God. I never really had a hunger for God's Word. And after that, I was reading and reading and reading God's Word. I just couldn't get enough. I wanted to know God. God did a work in my heart. Well, at that point, I, I had this sense that God was calling me, He was going to call me into ministry. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know where. I didn't know if I was going to be pastor, missions, teaching. I didn't know, but I began to pursue what I believe was God's will. And that first led me here to EI. became a student here way back in 2000. Um, that was before many of y'all were born. Uh, but I became a student here. I went on and did a bachelor's degree in Bible. And then the uh, Lord called me to go to seminary. So I did, did a lot of Bible education. Getting to know God's Word. Learning how to handle God's Word and teach it and, and so forth. But from the point I was 16, the trajectory of my life was I wanted to do the will of God. I had this sense that I knew I belonged to God. I was not my own anymore. And I wanted to do his will. I wanted to live for him. And sometimes when, sometimes we get this idea that if we give our lives to Christ, if we do his will, we obey him, we seek to please him, then our lives are just going to go really well. You know, he's going to bless us. 
in, in terms of our definition of blessing. And, and sometimes we have this idea, sometimes it's in our subconscious. We don't even realize we have this idea. But I ended up coming back here to EI after seminary to teach. And in my second year of teaching here, God struck me with a big trial in my life. Um, from one day to the next, I started going paralyzed. And I didn't know what was going on. I contracted a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And it's an autoimmune disorder. It's where your immune system begins to attack your peripheral nervous system. You guys who are doing science may know what that is. Now, that's kind of important, your nervous system. Because your nervous system takes messages from your brain to your muscles. And if your brain can't communicate to your muscles, you ain't going to move. You're going to be paralyzed. And that's what was happening to me. My, my immune system was starting to eat away at my nerves. And I couldn't communicate with my nerves. And within a day, within 24 hours, I could not even lift my arm to my face. Within three days, I ended up on a ventilator because I couldn't breathe anymore. A ventilator is a machine that breathes for you. Really thankful for technology because 100 years ago, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have survived it. That ventilator breathed for me. It breathed for me for six months. I spent seven months in ICU. And it was, it was a severe trial. It was a severe trial that completely changed my life. Look at me now. I'm in a wheelchair, right? I haven't walked for 13 years. So the trial goes on. But in those months in ICU, my natural instinct was to ask God, or in a sense to wrestle with, what did I do wrong? Have you ever responded to a difficult circumstance in your life that way? Like, what did I do wrong? And what I want to challenge you with, and I hope my story challenges you, is sometimes God sends trials into our lives, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we belong to him and he wants to do a work in our lives. See, I I was pursuing the Lord. I wasn't. I wasn't walking away from God. I wasn't in disobedience. I wasn't in any big sin. I was racking my brain. Where did I go wrong? God sent a trial into my life. Sometimes God sends trials into your life not because you're not walking with him, but precisely because you are walking with him and you are pursuing his will. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? Let me think about that. But I want... Us to think about that, we're going to be in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1 this whole week, the next three sessions. God's word makes it really clear over and over again that if you follow Jesus, you will suffer. You'll suffer persecution, rejection, because you're identifying with Jesus, but it's also clear that if you belong to God, he will send trials into your life. It might not even be persecution, it might be other forms of trials. And the Word of God tells us why he does that. Think about Jesus himself. Jesus was perfect, right? Sinless. Never said anything wrong, never did anything wrong, perfectly obeyed his Father's will, and yet did Jesus suffer? He suffered. In fact, we're told in Hebrews that he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. In other words, suffering was God's school for his son to learn obedience. 
to become mature. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. Trials and suffering are God's school to, to test the genuineness of our faith, to strengthen that faith, to bring us to spiritual maturity. Now, in all the trials and the difficulties I faced, I have faced in life, God's word has been a comfort to me. God's word is what I go back to again and again to get perspective, to think correctly, to understand what is going on in my life. And so that's where we're going to turn to. Uh, you're all young, younger than me at least, and, um, and yet it doesn't take very long living to encounter trials. Do you agree? You can encounter trials at a young age. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have experienced trials. Some of you, significant trials in your life. And that's why I want to talk about that. And there may be various different kinds of trials. For you, some of you, it may be health issues that have plagued your life. For some of you, it's relational conflict with siblings, of course, with parents, with friends. Maybe you have parents who fight in the home or who are divorced. Maybe you've experienced that kind of hurt. Maybe you are struggling with patterns of sin in your life. It's a trial, trial in your life. Maybe you feel rejected, alone. Trials come in all sorts of forms. And yet God is at work in the midst of them. So you're at James chapter 1. My introduction's kind of long, but... James chapter 1, verse 1. You're there? James 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who is this James? I'll tell you a bit about this James. James is Jesus' half-brother. I say half-brother because Jesus was born of a virgin. So, Joseph was not his biological father. But it's basically Jesus' brother. Probably the second oldest brother, because he's always named first, and they would tend to name the names of the siblings in, in order. Kind of like we do as well. Now, who is this James? James, Jesus' half-brother. When did Jesus come? When did James come to know Jesus? Do you remember, if you read the Gospels, Jesus' brothers thought that Jesus was crazy. In fact, they went down to find Jesus at some point and bring him home, put him to bed and say, you know, you need to settle down a little bit. There's a problem here. They thought he was nuts. They did not believe in him. But there's a really sweet passage in Corinthians where we are told that Jesus, after his resurrection, went to his brother and said, look at me, here I am. I'm raised from the dead. I'm alive. And in that moment, I believe James realized that his brother was more than just a brother. Imagine realizing that your brother was the son of God. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that. Coming to that realization. Lord of the universe. The Messiah. James came to that recognition. So you read here in James chapter 1. He doesn't say Jesus' younger brother. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James, at the, by the time he's writing this letter, he's a little bit older, a little bit past uh, the resurrection, and he's a pastor now in the church. He's a leader in the church, and he picks up his pen to write because as he looks out on the church, 
he sees a lot of people in the church who claim to be Christians, but they don't seem to really act like his big brother Jesus. They don't, they don't seem to, they don't, they're not acting like Christians. There seems to be this empty profession of faith in the church. And so he picks up his pen. And one of the things that he's burdened to write and communicate is, look, following Jesus, being a Christian, is more than just hearing the truth. It's more than just believing the truth. Saying, well, I believe that. I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again for my sins. I believe he died for my sins. And it's even more than speaking the truth. Like, you can say all the right things. And what James says is, being a Christian also means practicing the truth. Practicing the truth. That practicing the truth demonstrates the genuineness, the realness of our faith in Jesus Christ. And what's the very first thing he talks about that tests the genuineness of our faith? How we respond to trials. How we respond to suffering. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Very quickly, um, in the next three sessions, this is where we're going. We're, going to, we're, we're not covering a huge amount of territory today. We're just looking at the first, these three, these three verses, verses two through four, the benefit of trials. We're going to think about what is the benefit of difficult circumstances in your life? What is God doing? So we're thinking a little bit about the purpose of trials. Then tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll look at the posture, our posture in trials. How should we posture ourselves when we're going through tough times? And then finally, temptation and trials. Because the reality is, a trial is also a time of temptation. Every trial is a time of temptation. And every temptation is a trial. And James plays on those two things. Okay, so you kind of get an idea of where we're going. Let's read now verses 2 through 4. I'll pick up in verse 1 where I left off. He says, To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Verse 2, Consider it all joy. Wow. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. Now, I like to diagram my passages. Most of the time, I do not show you my diagram, but it really helps me in my teaching. But this time, I'm giving you a sneak preview of how I diagram this passage because it's fairly simple and it's helpful. There's two exhortations. He begins with an exhortation. Consider it all joy. He's telling you to do something, right? It's an exhortation. Consider it all joy. When? When you, inver- when you encounter trials, various trials. And then he gives you a reason. Why should I count, consider it all joy, James? Well, let me give you a reason, a really good reason, because you know that the testing of your faith does something. It produces endurance. Okay, that's the reason why we should count it joy. And then he gives a second exhortation. So let endurance have its perfect result in your life. And then he ends with this purpose or the goal of all of it. Why? Why should you let endurance have its perfect results? So that, so that something would happen in your life. So that you may become perfect and complete, lacking 
and nothing. Now, we're going to approach this passage kind of backwards. We're going to start at the end. We're going to think about the goal. What is God's goal? And we're going to work our way back. What is God's means? How does God accomplish that goal in your life? And then finally, we're going to end with what is the response? What is our response to be? So that's kind of where we're going. Everybody on page with me, on the same page, tracking? Okay, so we're focusing. Where is the goal in this passage? Anybody want to tell me? Where's the goal? Where where are we told the goal? Excellent. That last line is the goal, okay? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me, let me, let's, let's begin with the goal. Why does God send trials into the lives of his people? Why does God send bad things, the way we often think about it, into the lives of his people who are seeking to obey him and love him and who are good? Why does God send bad things to good people? Eh, I don't know if I use good people, but people who love God. Okay, That's the question we want to answer. Let's start with an illustration. You and I are going to go into business together. And here's the business. We're going to set up an ice cream cart downtown Greenville. It's a good business. It's hot here. People want ice cream. So this will work. But there's a problem. You and I have two different objectives in starting this business. My objective, I'll just tell you right off, is to make as much money as possible. That's my objective. I want to make money. The problem is that your objective is to eat as much ice cream as possible. How do you think we're going to do in business together? What's going to happen? Yeah, so do you think there's going to be maybe some frustration, some conflict, some problems in our business? You are eating through my profits. <laughs> That's not cool. Um, and so we're going to have problems. So this teaches us a lesson, a simple illustration. It teaches us a lesson that if our goal in life does not match God's goal in life, we're going to experience frustration. If your goal in life doesn't match God's goal in life, you will experience frustration in your soul, in your inner being. Because you're going to be at cross purposes with God. So we might ask ourselves, what is God's goal? What is he after? Here's what God is after. God is after spiritual maturity. He says it right here, right? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, James is not speaking here. It sounds like it when he uses the word perfect, but he's not speaking of sinless perfection. He's talking about spiritual health, vitality, maturity. He's talking about godly character, Christ-like character. This is God's goal for your life. Trials. In difficult circumstances, if we respond to them correctly, have the potential of forming within us godly character. You realize that? They have that ability to do that. You see, when God in his mercy came and saved you, when he revealed your need for Jesus Christ, and when he brought you to himself, and you repented, and you believed in him, and he gave you new spiritual life, that was just the very beginning of what God wanted to do in your life. 
It's the beginning. God, God saves you just as you are, but he doesn't leave you just as you are. God has an agenda. He has a program. He has something he wants to do in your life. He has an objective, and that objective is spiritual maturity. Now, if God is aiming, we'll put a little diagram here. If God is aiming at developing character in your life, Christ-like character, but you are aiming at comfort, don't you think there's going to be a conflict? There's going to be a conflict, right? I want an easy life. I want a pain-free life. I want a secure life. I want a prosperous life. Like, who doesn't, right? <laughs> you know? And God says, I'm not aiming at those things. I'm aiming for you at you becoming like my son, Jesus Christ. Because that's what brings me glory and the greatest pleasure. That's what I'm aiming at. And so the question that I have for you this morning is, what is your goal? What is your goal in life? What's your objective? Because if your objective is over there, and God's objective is over there, like the ice cream business, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have problems. There's going to be conflict, frustration in our soul. Now, what is spiritual maturity? What do I mean by spiritual maturity? Look at James. James seems to indicate that spiritual maturity is the result of experiencing trials, and not just experiencing trials, but trusting God in the midst of them. Like relying on God. It's talking about the testing of our faith. So here's my definition for spiritual maturity. You could do this in different ways, but spiritual maturity, you could say, is having an unwavering, steadfast trust and dependence on Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances. So no matter what comes into your life, your reaction is to turn to Christ, to trust him, to depend on him, not turn away from him. And as you do that, more and more, you grow in spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? Spiritual maturity. And that's God's goal for your life. So again, I ask you, what is your goal? What is your objective in life? I want you to think about that. Like at the end, I'm going to give you a moment to think about that particular question because it's a huge question, right? What are you after? But now let's ask ourselves the second question. How does God achieve this goal in our life? And this, I'm thinking about the means here. We see the means in this second line of James chapter 1, verse 2 where he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That is, how does God achieve spiritual maturity in your life? How does he go about it? Well, guess what? He goes about it by sending trials into your life. That's what James tells us. To test your faith. To strengthen your faith. Well, so I think I have a blank here. Let me get behind. What does God do to bring us to a place of spiritual maturity? Since trials to test our faith. But we might ask ourselves the question, what is a trial? What does James mean by trial? Um, I'll come back to that. A trial is any circumstance or a situation that tests whether or not I trust in Jesus. I'm kind of flipping it back. It's pretty simple, right? 
It's any circumstance, anything that comes into your life that tests you whether or not you trust in Jesus. You really trust in him. You really depend on him. So, we can go back to our diagram. God's goal is godly character. My goal often is comfort. But God is aiming at his goal, and in order to achieve that goal, he's going to send difficult circumstances, trials into our life. That's how he's going to achieve that goal, to test our faith. And that brings us a bit of a crossroads, right? Because the question is, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond to that trial? Well, it kind of depends on what our objective is and if we're on the same page with God. All right, let me give you an example. Let's assume that this weight is like a trial. Okay, and maybe you have a three-pound, this is a three-pound weight. Maybe you have a three-pound trust in Christ. I can do this all day long. Send me three-pound trials and I've got it. No big deal. Three-pound trials. Go, go, go. All day long. But how am I going to grow my faith? Let's assume my muscles are like faith. Okay? How is God going to grow my muscles, my faith muscles? If I just stick to the three-pound weight, am I going to grow my muscles much? Not a whole lot. God's a good trainer. And so he's going to send trials that go beyond what you think is your capacity to trust God. See if I can do this. 15-pound weight. They might send a 15-pound trial in your life. And you pick this up and let's see if I can do this without killing myself. You're like, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> there's no way. But why does God do that? First of all, he's testing your faith. And he's also strengthening your faith. God is bringing about spiritual maturity. Okay, And so, in one sense, what James is saying is, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because you know what it's going to produce. right? It's producing something that you want. Spiritual maturity. And so you see the trial, you're like, Yes! Let's go for it! <laughs> because it's producing spiritual maturity. All right. Now, James says various trials. You know how he uses the word various? I really appreciate the way he does that. Because it means that what he's talking about here is trials of every kind. Big trials, little trials, all sorts of trials fall under this umbrella. God is using everything in your life. Just, just pause a moment and, and ask, and just think, what are some difficult circumstances in my life right now? Difficult people in my life. Just probably don't have to wait too long to think through that, right? For some things to pop up, little things even. God is using that in your life. Various trials, big trials, little trials. But regardless of the intensity of the trial, God is at work using it. Sometimes we say, no pain, no what? No gain. Well, there's actually some truth to that in the spiritual realm. What James is saying is, if God doesn't send trials in your life, you will never become spiritually mature. You will not grow in spiritual maturity. Because your faith will never be tested. 
And you can't become mature without being tested. You realize that? So James, in a sense, is do you see how he's starting to change our perspective on trials, difficult circumstances? So let's let me put this lesson. What lesson do we learn? This truth. If we belong to God, the trials in our life are purposeful. Do you realize they're purposeful? God has a purpose for what he sends into your life. The circumstances he brings into your life. God has our best interest in mind. So, that brings us to the final point here, is what should our response be? He gives us two responses, two exhortations. First of all, consider it all joy. Secondly, let steadfastness have its full effect. But let's think about this first response of considering it all joy. The first thing James says, so we're hearing these two exhortations here. The first thing he says is when you encounter a trial and the difficult circumstances, he says, I want you to view it as something good rather than something bad. Making it really simple. Something beneficial, profitable, not something harmful. Now, that is not my natural reaction to difficult circumstances. Is that your natural reaction? Something bad happens, you're like, yes, I always wanted something bad to happen in my life, you know. <laughs> I always wanted to go paralyzed, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just wonderful. Woo-hoo! You know, life is so much better in a wheelchair. I mean, in some ways it is. You never have to walk around everywhere. I mean, you, you know, walking is overrated. But, um. but what? We naturally think, Bad things happen, we think, bad, bad, bad. I mean, just the way I put that, bad things happen, right? Difficult circumstances happen, suffering comes, and we think, bad, bad, bad. And James is saying, no, think, good, good, good. Counted all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, this word count has this sort of an idea. It's an interesting word. It means to make a decision after weighing the facts or circumstances your decision note will be determined by your objective. Maybe you've heard the term cost-benefit analysis. Cost-benefit analysis. Here's the cost, here's the benefit, and we analyze it. Is it worth it? You're doing this every day. You, you get really good at this in life. Let's imagine some friends, uh, a friend invites you to go bowling. And he says, hey, love for you to come bowling with me. Have a couple, we'll have a couple other friends there, but it's going to cost $15. And you go, okay. Immediately you do a cost-benefit analysis. You're thinking about the bowling, the good time with friends, and you're thinking about how much it's going to cost you. $15. Kind of a lot of money for you guys, probably. Maybe. $15. Mm, how, many, how many lawns do I have to mow in order to go bowling? You know. Um, And you create this cost-benefit analysis. Now, your decision is going to be determined. It's going to be determined by how much you value bowling and how much you value spending time with your friends. So maybe you think, man, I love bowling. I mean, bowling's just amazing. I'm so good at it. And these friends are my best friends. Like $15, no big deal. We're going. I'm in. Empty the piggy bank. Off you go. Or you go, Bowling, who wants to go bowling? Bowling's so lame. 
I mean, he's a good friend, but I'm going to see him tomorrow playing basketball. You know, you guys go ahead and have fun. I'm going to keep my 15 bucks. Do you get the idea here? It's cost-benefit analysis. And what James is saying is, you, when, the, when a trial comes into your life, you have to do this cost-benefit analysis. You have to consider. Consider, think. Is it worth it? Is this trial valuable to me? And what James is saying, it should be valuable because of what it can produce in your life. It can produce spiritual maturity. And so he says, look at it. Think about what God is doing, this difficult circumstance in your life. Realize that God is working spiritual maturity and value it. Count it. Joy. Count it as good in your life. You see what he's saying? Now, I do want to caution. Hear what I'm not saying. James is not saying that it's wrong to be grieved over sad and difficult things in our life. I grieved a lot over the trial. I mean, my wife and I, we we had moments of just grief, sorrow, weeping. It's hard. It was real loss. So, so he's not saying, put a fake smile on your face, pretend like everything's good, and count it all joy, we're good. Some things are really hard. Some trials, some suffering cut really, really deep, and they hurt. But what James is saying is don't forget the bigness of what God is doing in your life. And even in all the hurt of that particular trial, God is at work. He's doing something in your life, in your heart, in your soul. He's producing Christ-like character. And value that. Value that. So in remembering that in the midst of your trial, don't turn against God. Don't turn away from God. But rejoice in God. Trust God. Value the trials as an opportunity to express your faith in God. And sometimes that's a fight. I'll just tell you, sometimes that's a fight. When you encounter big trials, sometimes you have to fight to to consider it all joy moment by moment. You just have to keep telling yourself, God has a purpose. God is good. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. All right. But he doesn't just say count it all joy, but he gives us another way to respond, two ways of responding. And the second way of responding is he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Let endurance have its perfect result. The word steadfastness here means to remain under. That is, it's it's this idea of a capacity to trust in Jesus over a long period of time. What James seems to be talking about here is It's not just your initial response that should be, Lord, I trust you. I'm open to what you're doing in my life. But it should be your ongoing response. You're ongoing. So tomorrow you keep counting it all joy. The next day you keep counting it all joy. The next day. Some trials are short, right? They're they're, they're short. They happen. They're gone. They're over. Some trials can last years. Some trials can last a lifetime. And what James is saying is 
Remain under it. Be steadfast. Keep trusting in Jesus. There's a picture here, kind of, that the word steadfastness is this picture, almost, of a person carrying a heavy load. Imagine someone hiking the Appalachian Trail. And he's got this backpack. He's got everything on there to hike the trail over weeks and months. He's carrying this heavy load. load. That requires steadfastness, doesn't it? To keep hiking under the load every day. And that's a bit of the picture here. So, there's two temptations. The first is the temptation to be impatient with God. So my first exhortation that comes out of this being steadfast is be patient. Be patient with what God is doing in your life. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen overnight. You don't become like Jesus in 30 seconds. It takes time. It takes life circumstances. It takes trials and trusting God through those trials. So be patient and let God work in your life. Secondly, don't quit. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials, there's a temptation to give up. Have you ever felt tempted to just give up when things get too difficult? Something gets hard. It's just like it's not worth it. Forget it. I'm not. I'm no good at this. Just give up. You know, you're trying to play a game and you're not really good at it. Forget it. I'm give up. And there's a temptation, a trial, to give up. To give up trusting in Jesus. To give up relying on him. To give up considering it all joy. To just stop it. Just give up. And he says, don't give up. Let steadfastness have that full effect in your life. And so I want to sum it up here with a lesson. A truth. Joy in Jesus is the evidence of trust in Jesus. Again, that doesn't always look like a big smile paste on your face, but it's this deep underlying belief that God, no matter what's going on in my life, is seeking my good. That God is good. That God is in control. And that he is working for my good in the circumstances of my life. Joy in Jesus is the evidence of faith in Jesus. It's the evidence that I believe he's in control and that he's working the circumstances in my life for my good. It's like, you know, Lord, I know what you're after. I don't really want to be spiritual mature, you know. I think I'm mature enough, Lord. No more trials, please. But now you realize, I know what you're after. And I want that too. I want to be like Jesus. And so I welcome your activity in my life. So I have a couple questions here for reflection. You see them in your notes? And the first one is the one that I raised earlier. What's your objective in life? Because that's really fundamental. If your your objective in life is comfort, security, prosperity, then when trials come, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be like thrown off. Like, what are you doing, Lord? I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't know this was part of the program. Pastor Michael Wilkes last night spoke about blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. 
right? Happy is the man. Blessed is the man. God, I thought you said blessed. And I'm not walking in the bad paths. I'm, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to obey you. I thought you said I'd be blessed. And look at what you said in my life. You made me go paralyzed. Sometimes we have a different definition of blessing than God does. There is a blessing to walking with God. But that blessing does involve trials as well. It's the blessing of walking with God. The blessing of becoming like Christ. The blessing of bringing glory to God. All right, so I want you to think, what is your objective? Is your objective to know Christ? Is it to become like Christ? Think about that. And then secondly, I want you to ask yourself this question. How are you responding to the difficult circumstances in your life? Let me tell you this. If you respond poorly to difficult circumstances in your life, that's probably an indication that you're pursuing the wrong objective. It can be actually helpful. It's kind of like a, a light turning on on the dashboard. When you respond poorly, wrongly, sinfully even, to trials in your life, it can be an indication that maybe you're after the wrong thing in life. So those two questions kind of go hand in hand. They work together. So what I want you to do is I want you to, I'm going to pray here in a moment, and I want you to just spread out. Go out of the building. It's a pretty day. Go outside. Find a spot and just spend five minutes. Okay, You can look at your watch. Five minutes and think about those two questions. And if you have a pen, you can jot some of your own answers down. Think about those two questions. And then you can come back together. Lunch will be at 1.15, so you have a little bit of time here to get ready for the sports this afternoon and, and so forth. Uh, so just be, be aware of that. So I'm going to pray five minutes alone, and then you can come back together and go to your room and prep, and, and lunch will be at 1, not at 1.15, 12.15. Good? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This passage in James that teaches us about how to respond in the midst of trials, teaches us about what you're doing in our lives. Help us to believe your word. Help us to trust in you. Turn our hearts towards you, not away from you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.